Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We are in Genesis chapter 3 today, and the title of the message is The Great Divide in Our Need for a Savior. I don't know about you, but I've known I've needed a Savior for a long time. I need Jesus every day, every hour. I need Thee, as the hymn says. But the thing is, is that Satan uses our deception of our emotional insecurities to influence us to make choices that are poor, to make choices that go against what he's told us to do. And the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin still impacts us to this day. There is a great divide between God and humanity that cries out for the need of a Savior. There are people today that are crying out for a Savior, and they don't even realize that is what they need. This morning's lesson from the garden teaches us to be careful about the voices we listen to. Yes, friends, be careful about if you only listen to the newscasters on your favorite news channel and you don't filter it through God's Word. Be careful if the only thing you worry about are your reels and your Facebook feeds and your Instagram feeds and your TikToks and your all these other things. If that's where you're getting all your truth from, uh, you're going you're gonna to fall short somewhere. Somewhere somebody's going to give you some bad advice. You see, last week, we, well, actually two weeks ago, we established that Satan is our enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. If you don't believe me, look at John 10.10. 10. It talks about that. Also, John 8.44, where it says that Satan is the father of lies. If he's talking to you, he's not telling you the truth. And so up to this point, God has created the heavens and the earth. He created every living thing and even called man and woman his greatest creation. So God's creation was complete and everything was good. And he had a day of rest, right? Until Adam and Eve were walking in the garden and they were influenced by a voice that caused them to question what God said. So as you brought your Bibles, turn to chapter 3. We're going to look at verses, start with 1 through 7. The great divide that we're talking about, the great divide between God and man began with temptation. You see, God wanted us to choose to love him. We weren't programmed like a robot just to do it. My friends, if, if you are not given a choice to love somebody, that's called abuse. That's called manipulation. God created you. God loves you. He wants you to love them out of your choice. You see, look at verse 1. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? That is exactly how Satan works. Now, if a serpent came up to me today, I would run and scream like a little girl. I'm, I'm just, I, I cannot do snakes. Some of you can. But the truth of the matter is that there are voices that are causing us to question. Basically, here's the question. Did God really say this? Is, is, is this word of God, is it really that binding? Did, he re- did, did, you, did you fully understand what he was saying? You see, the serpent was the shrewdest, or some translations say the most cunning, of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. Once Satan was the most beautiful of angels, and now he was cast out of heaven. And now he was speaking as a serpent. 
Also, most people and artists depict this serpent. If you see this, there's Adam and Eve and some trees and some leaves and usually an apple. And then the Adam and Eve are looking. You know the, the Bible uh, story books that used to be in the uh, doctor's offices for the children. And it was all painted out. There are all these pretty pictures. And so they show this snake talking to Eve. And there's this apple. And, and so, I mean, are we all on the same page? I mean, that's that's pretty much what... Um, what is happening here. But the thing is that the artist depicts the serpent as a snake. But at this time, when the serpent is talking to Eve, it is not a snake. It is not crawling on the ground. It is not slithering. It is not low to the ground. We don't know what it is, but we know that after the curse, it became the snake as we know it, where it had to walk on the ground. I mean, it, it could have been any number of things, the serpent. But anyway, it was something that caught her attention. And now Satan is speaking through it. My friends, we may not have serpents speaking to us today. But those things that we let into our minds, those things that we let into our eyes, those things that we let into our hearts still have the spirit of that same serpent today. It's called Satan, and he's trying to talk us into thinking that what God said is not really what he meant. Satan was in the garden, and he was allowed to tempt and to test Adam and Eve. Here's the thing, folks. Did you know that God allows you to be tempted? Nothing touches us that God does not allow. We know that from uh, the book of Job. Nothing touches us that God does not allow. But however, God allowed Adam and Eve to be tested, and God will allow you to be tested. Why is that? A true faith is only known when it is tested. If you're never tested, you'll never, you'll never know it's there. But God puts us in situations where we are tempted, our faith is tested, and we can choose our way or we can choose God's way. So when, when Satan and temptation strike, don't take the bait. Look at verses 2 through 4. Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. Only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat, God said. You must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Folks, we see here in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, the very first recorded attack against Satan's, excuse me, Satan's first attack against God's word is recorded right here. Instead of Eve replying in verse 3, it's the only fruit from the tree, she should have ran. Here's the thing, now, do you understand that? It, this, this story would have been totally different if she had done like Joseph did when Potiphar's wife tried to, uh, how can I say this nicely, uh, take advantage of him. When the, when, when the serpent started talking about, are you, do you really think that God means that? She should have never entertained him. She should have ran. My friends, when you are tempted... It'll look pleasing and it'll look like you really need to to jump into this. But the truth of the matter is we should run. We should get away from it. But she did not. Because if if Satan can make you doubt God's word or not give the weight that God's word commands to it, then he has won the battle. 
Today in Christianity, even in churches around this world, especially in America, they do not believe that this is the all-inerrant inspired word of God. They believe it's the book of suggestions, that there is a book of opinions in here, that um, our social media feed trumps the truth that is in this. That is the attack of the devil from all the way in the garden. You see, doubting God's word and neglecting God's word are two sides of the same coin. If reading God's word for yourself is not important to you and you are neglecting the reading of God's word, then there is no difference in you doubting God's word. There are two sides of the same coin. Why is God's word so valuable? Let me... You know, we all know John 3.16. Let me get you to add another 3.16 to your memory banks. Remember 2 Timothy 3.16. You've got John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Now, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture, even the ones you can't pronounce, (laughs) even where so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, all Scripture is inspired by God, and it is useful To teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. And it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Some will say that God's word is outdated, that it's full of contradictions or that it's out of touch with the reality of today. Ah, the Bible, my grandparents used to read that thing. But the absolute truths of scripture are still alive today. God's word gives life. That's what it says here. Now, you can agree or you can disagree and disregard the absolute truths that are in God's word. But just like gravity, they will always be proven to be true. Kind of like the other week when we were talking about um, um, stupid warning labels where someone bought a Superman outfit and it said, just be, be sure to know that if you buy this Superman outfit, you cannot fly and you cannot stop a bullet. Because somewhere along the way, somebody tried both of those. Gravity wins. God's word always wins. Also, I said it earlier. Remember, Satan is a liar. You find that in John 8, 44. Look at verses 4 through 7. The serpent says, you won't die. (laughs) When you're thinking about doing something that's sin, the devil tells you, it's not so bad. You can do this. He says, the serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. That sounds like a good plan, right? If you eat this, you will be like God. That is what people try to do today. They try to say that I know better than what this says. I know how God created me, but I know better. I know better than what God's word says. This is outdated. My, my truth is more important than this truth. And they live on that. That's what's happening here. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She saw something. She wanted it. So she took it. It says, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. I say this every time I preach this passage, but notice 
People say, "Ah, uh huh, it's the woman's fault. Eve gave Eve gave Adam the apple. If she wouldn't have done that, then we wouldn't be in the shape we are in today." Nope, that's not the way it reads. It says that Adam was with her. If Adam would have been the man that he was supposed to be, intending the garden and his wife, Eve, as he should have been, she wouldn't have been there in the first place entertaining this conversation with this serpent. And also, you know what? When God gave the command to only eat from the tree of life, And not from the tree of knowledge. Did he give that instruction to Adam and Eve or just Adam? Y'all know? To Adam. He gave it to Adam. So somewhere along the way, either Adam soft-souled that truth, that warning. But I just want you to know, guys, that Adam is complicit, maybe even more complicit in this than Eve is because God was the one that originally told him and it was his job to communicate that in a way to Eve that she knew that that was serious. And evidently, at any point, it says he was with her, Adam should have said, well, babe, no, you don't need to look. That is a serpent talking to you. We're going to go to the other side of the garden. But no, he was there too. Let me tell you, his trap is, and if you have a chance, write this down or take a mental picture, put it in your notes app on your phone or whatever you need to do. Satan's trap is this, and I learned this from a devotion by Tony Evans. He says, Satan's trap is seeing things from a human point of view, not from God's. That is Satan's trap. When you look at your life, when you look at things that you have to endure, when you are trying to make decisions, if you are looking at it as how it will impact me above what God says, that he's got you. He's got you. That is Satan's trap. Look at verse 7. One of the saddest moments in all of Scripture is chapter 3, verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Yeah, they knew good and evil now. They knew everything, just like Satan said they would, but it came at a price. They realized their nakedness, and they realized their shame. Folks, once Satan influences you to choose to sin, then he piles on the shame. That's the way he works. He makes it seem like that choice is just an easy one and you make it. Then as soon as you make it, he dogpiles shame and regret and unworthiness on you. That's the way he works. And that was the way it happened here. They were living as God's created. They were living as God created them to be. But in a moment... The light left them, and they saw themselves without righteousness. When they ate the fruit, when they did what God told them not to do, the light of God left them, and they realized the darkness that was in them. At that moment, sin came into the world. (laughs) God calls out Adam to be the point man. In verse 9, he says, where are you? Look at it. Verse 8, when the cool evening breeze was blowing, 
the man, Adam and his wife, heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Verse 9, Then the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He didn't call it, Hey, he didn't say, Eve, you really messed this up. He called out Adam. Men, at the end of the day, when we are judged for our families and the way we led our families, we will be the point man, and God will say, James, how did you lead your family? He will say, how did you, did you lead them in the way that they should go? We are going to be held accountable for that, men. It doesn't mean that women don't have their own choices. It doesn't mean that they have their own part to play in this. They do. But God, in the roles that he established, established us men as the point men to make sure that we shepherd and pastor our families and our wives. God asked men who have not taken their roles seriously today, where are you? Would you please step up and be the man that I created you to be? Look, this was not a, 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 a game of hide and seek, you know, where God's going through the garden. Peekaboo, where are you? That's not what God was doing. He was saying, okay, number one, he knew that they messed up. Number two, he knew when and where they were hiding from them. And then he says, where are you, Adam? The question was not, where is his GPS location? Where are you in the garden? His answer was, okay, Adam, where are you with me? Where does our relationship stand now? And then verse 10, (laughs) he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid because I was afraid because I was naked. I love God's response at 11. Who told you that you were naked? I've got some friends that that are in my life, and I know that if they're asking me a question, they already know the answer to it. Most of all, my wife. She said, you know, do those go there? I know she knows the answer. (laughs) So are they? No, they don't. But look, God says, who told you that you were naked? The Lord asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat at? God knew what had happened. He was asking the question he had already had the answers for, but he wanted to see how Adam and Eve would respond. And in true fashion, just like we do today, Adam and Eve started playing the blame game. They'd have been on one of these daytime trashy talk shows, blaming everybody else for their problems. Look at what it says here. It says in verse 12, The man replied, It was the woman you gave me, who gave me the fruit. So really, Adam is blaming God for, give, for God giving him Eve as a helper because it's his helper's fault that they're in that, that position to start with. Men, don't do that. That's cowardly. That is wrong. And that is disregarding the gift that God has given you in a spouse. He said, the man replied, it was the woman. You, so he's kind of making it God's fault. God, if you want to give me this woman, I wouldn't have sinned. Then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? Then she blames the serpent. The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. So now there is a divide between God and man. After they play the blame game, then we see that sin does not go unpunished. Look at verses 14 through 19. 
It says, then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. Now, here we go. Here's where the snake, as we know it, comes in. You will crawl on your belly. So evidently before that, he didn't crawl on his belly. He says, you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Mm. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. Sorry, ladies. It's Adam and Eve's fault. I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain, you will give birth. And people gloss over this next part. Some translations say something to the effect of, I will put enmity between you and the man or you and, and your husband. New Living Translation says, and you will desire to control your husband and he will rule over you. Understand what it is saying here that in God's established order, you have the man as the point man, you have the woman as the helper. God, Adam was tending the garden. Eve was the helper. Not a less than position, but an honored position. And so one serving the other. But because of the curse of sin, he said the woman is going to want the reins. The woman is going to want the control. The woman is going to want what God has given the role of the man to be. This is not archaic. This just shows you why there is still gender gaps. There is still pay differences between males and females. And we have all these different things now with the sports, males, females, and, and others trying to, to jump into this. It's, it's one wanting what the other has. And it started in the garden. Verse 17 says, And he said, and the, to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. And all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Does this mean in Eden there were no thorns and thistles? It says, by the sweat of your brow, in verse 19, will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. We see that in every graveyard we drive by, don't we? Here's the results of the curse. Number one, the serpent was humility and lowered status. Number two, there was pain in childbirth for the woman and wanting the leadership role that God designed for Adam. He, she wanted to rule over Adam rather than be his helper as God created her to be. And Adam was no longer working for the joy of loving the Lord. Now he had to work just to survive. And that, look, when I thought about this, have you ever thought about this? Why do we have to work today? Why did, of the curse, why did God make it to where we have to work so hard? I'll tell you why. God gave Adam and Eve everything they could ever want. 
And they decided by eating from that tree of, of knowledge, they decided that everything that God gave them was not enough. So God said, okay, big boy, okay, big girl, if you don't want what I want, you see how it is to get it for yourself. That is why the curse of work started. And then we see because of the garden, the reason we have funerals, the reason we have heartache, the reason we lose our loved ones is because of the fall. Because death began at the at the garden. And then finally, paradise is lost. Man is separated from God and only Jesus can redeem us. Look at what it says in verse 20. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for his for Adam and his wife. And, and in verse 21, this is significant. I've probably said it before. I know I have. Um, but if you if you go back and look in the Bible, what happened when Lucifer and the angels rebelled? <clears throat> Kicked them out of heaven, right? But now when his greatest creation, Adam and Eve, sinned, he says, look, put those silly fig leaves down. Let me give you some clothes that matter. And wrapped them and made animal skins. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is not forgiveness of sin. So understand that an animal had to die and blood had to be spilled so that they could wear the animal skins to cover them from their shame. This is a way that they received God's forgiveness. And it wasn't initiated by what they did. It was initiated by the very God they sinned against. Verse 22, Then the Lord said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord banished them from the garden. And he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord stationed a mighty cherub to the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth. So to guard the way to the tree of life. As we wrap up our time today, the curse of sin separates us from God. This is why we need a Savior. Let me show you a diagram. I want you to imagine that here you are on the left side. You are standing on top of the block that says us. And then on the other block on the right side, there's God and eternal life. And I want you to understand that there is a separation that... That, that area in between where the cross is, that is the separation between you and I. There is no plane that can get us across that. No, not even Superman can jump across that. There is no way we can get to God. Even Elon Musk cannot create a rocket big enough to send us to God where he dwells. We are separated from God. From the moment God kicked Adam and Eve out of, out of Eden, we are separated from God. There is no way you, in your own strength, can get there. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. 
You can't be bad enough. There, that separates us. What separates us? Death. Death separates us. Romans 3.23 says, For the wages of sin is what? Death. And so we as sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God means I am a sinner and it is that sin that keeps me from God. That is why before I met Jesus Christ, before Jesus Christ came into my life, I was lost and there was a chasm between God and I that I could not get to on my own. But it says in Romans 5.8 that, that while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love for us, that he died on a cross for our sins again while we were still sinners. Jesus Christ became the bridge to get us from where we were, across the chasm of death, and to bring us to God. The reason we have Jesus Christ is because of Genesis chapter 3. Folks, don't fall into Satan's trap of seeing things from a human point of view and not from God's. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you are separated from him. If you do know Jesus Christ, you have been, Jesus Christ has bridged the gap between you and him. Do not take God's word lightly. Did God really say this? Absolutely. It's crazy. The more we stick with biblical teachings, the more radical we sound to some people. I'm preaching the same thing today that I preached 20 years ago. God's word has not changed. Our culture has. Take your faith and responsibilities for your families seriously. Men, women, grandmothers, grandfathers, leaders, influencers. Know that Jesus is the only way back to God. You may be a Christian here today. And that bridge has been paid for you. You have walked across that chasm. But there is something in your life that's pulling you back. My friends, Paul says that we are no longer slaves to sin. When we sin, it's because we choose to, not because we have no choice. My friends, take God's word seriously. Take your choices seriously. Don't take the bait of looking at things the way you want to see it rather than God sees it. And if you need God, return to him. The, the bridge was paid with Jesus' blood. Don't take that for granted. Let's pray. God, thank you so much today for reminding us that there is a great divide between us as humans and you that started so long ago in the garden. And dear God, if there's one person here today that would say that I am divided, I, I cannot get to God. I realize that for the first time today, that my sin and my pride has kept me separated from God. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt today that I have crossed that bridge, that I have accepted Jesus Christ into my life, and that I am one with God. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt before I leave today. May they not leave this building until they talk to me or someone else they trust to come to know you. But there are a lot of believers here today. May they rejoice that Jesus did pay the price. And may they take a lesson from Adam and Eve. Although they've got everything together and they're doing the best they can with what you've given them, it's still always a temptation to 
to see the trap of Satan and look at things from our point of view rather than yours. The next time they're flirting with Satan, putting thoughts into their minds, tell them to run. Don't even entertain it. If there's someone that makes it, needs to make a decision today to know you, to be baptized, or to join this church, may they come forward at this time. This invitation is a time for you to respond. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?